Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. I personally believe that empathy is the most important tool as a brand builder. Empathy as a leader, it's empathy with our consumers, really understanding his or her unmet needs and trying to find solutions that better their lives. Empathy with our partners, whether it's retailers or media partners. And I think it's also one where women can exceed. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, I feel like we might have an exclusive first look story. Well, you know, we are cutting edge journalists, so do tell. I mean, I really am proud of how investigative we've become. <laughs> we're, we're, we're uncovering gems left and right. <laughs> tell me what you're talking about. So obviously we're about to bring Charlene Zapp onto the show, who is an officer and an SVP at the J.M. Smucker Company. And she said something that I felt was newsworthy, which is that retail media has become their number one media investment. That means it must come before TV. It must come before general programmatic. It must come before search. It must come before Facebook. That felt like a very bold statement. There's two parts to that boldness. One is, yes, holy crap. The other part is the fact that it's all being planned as one. There's no line. That line of upper funnel, lower funnel, above the line, below the line, whatever the line is, the line's gone. That is absolutely the way that companies need to be thinking about the way they go to market. And I I always say this thing, like if you were dropped onto planet Earth today, where would you put your money? The whole idea of like zero-based budgeting is a cost-saving exercise typically, but the whole idea of saying what is right to meet the consumer on their terms today and in the not too distant future. And Charlene's just ahead of that. Yeah, because I know we have a lot of investors who listen to the show. I mean, you marry that with where you see public and private markets now valuing companies that play in the retail media ecosystem. And it all signals that we're going to see a reorientation of marketers organize themselves around this entity. 
which, you know, today we describe as retail media. And one day, dare I say, we might drop the word retail and just call it media. Brought to you by Amazon, Target, Walmart. <laughs> well, I think that the beauty of it is all of these retailers are now looking at media as their next revenue stream, whether it's a way to offset margin compression or other things of that ilk. But the fact that it's so directly tied to conversion, that really becomes a win-win for the brand and for the retailer. It just becomes a question of when does it get too incestuous? Well, yeah, before we start breaking up these big companies. What we learn on, on the show with Charlene is first the signal and the noise, right? Then reorganizing yourself around the signal. And then I think the third part was the humility that she shares with us that the only people who were actually far removed from this was the leadership team. Like everyone in the building was an expert in this and understood that. And the leadership team gave them a voice brought those experts to the front line to help reorganize the business. She's a very, very special individual and the James Mucker company is lucky to have her. Agree. So let's bring Charlene onto the show. Hello, Charlene, and welcome back from vacation. Thanks. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Sarah. So nice to be here. You and I go back many moons and we'll get into that at some point in the show. But in terms of the Smucker company, there's obviously public information out there. And in the company's 2022 objectives, it's mentioned that there's been this transformation of the consumer in a post-pandemic world. What does this look like? Absolutely. So in the simplest terms, when you think of why we changed, which I think is important to understand, through COVID, from a consumer lens, e-commerce exploded for sure. But what it really means is consumers want what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. And oh, by the way, they want more transparency than ever. But also what happened is retailers changed dramatically, where now they're not just retailing our brand and selling it and distributing it, they're marketing it. Retail media networks are now our top media platform. So we had to change. And what we did is kind of in my title of integrated consumer experience. What does that mean? That means I have broken up the old school upper funnel, lower funnel. And we absolutely now have strategies that are integrated from a full funnel standpoint. And we restructured so that our structure reflects those strategies. For example, we used to have very siloed COEs. We had a media COE, we had a shopper marketing COE, and we had a digital COE. We blew that up. It's now an integrated COE. So our media leaders, for example, are not just thinking upper funnel. They're thinking full funnel, including the retail media networks that I mentioned. And that will drive a much more seamless experience for our consumers and hopefully a winning one. I love this. It is making me so happy. (laughs) Rachel and I have been talking about the e-commerce maturity curve for quite some time. And I think it's a fantastic reflection, not just of the changes of consumer behavior, because that's affected everybody in the CPG space. But the fact that your company is so mature as to say, you know what, we don't need to silo this off anymore because there's a knowledge, there's an understanding, there's a need to reflect actually consumer behavior is maybe surprisingly to you, maybe not incredibly refreshing. Exciting. I'm glad to hear that. With Center of Excellence, it's often always about education. So with you creating this integrated group, Where did you feel like the knowledge gaps were on the team? Because maybe they were super specialized in media, but didn't understand something else. And 
how did you identify where the gaps were and then how did you fill them for your employees? Great question. So our COE certainly is about education, but it is also about capability and about scale. So instead of having, for example, all of the brand teams have search, which I've been in organizations that have that, we are, we compete against each other when we do that. Even though we're very brand centric, if one brand is buying search terms and competing with those same search terms, we're we're paying more for it, right? It's silliness. So the scale aspect comes from, no, we're going to have one search team. It's across the enterprise and it's for JMS. And of course, they're specialists within the COE. So it's not just capabilities that these guys are doing or, or education. They are doing the work. They are driving our search strategies and our commerce strategies. Mm. So I think that's a, a really important aspect. To your question about gaps, these teams had so much knowledge as COE experts, where the gaps really are with people like me, and certainly um, depending on the level across the brand teams. But now that we're integrated, we now see what you all as experts and have seen for a long, long, long time. It becomes much more intuitive and obvious about how to drive a brand strategy when you understand the mechanics of lower funnel in particular. We were all pretty decent at upper funnel. So the gaps were more on how do we leverage each consumer touch point, whether it's commerce, mm -hmm. social, and drive that full conversion idea, right? You've talked about this, Rachel, where you talk about, well, first, actually, it's a reverse funnel on much of digital mm -hmm. because you first become aware and then you become converted into equity, right? Well, take that idea. And now it is exploded across all our touch points and all our brands. And that gap of understanding that's kind of a reverse funnel is probably the biggest one we have. I just also love how you identified that the expertise was there. It was at a leadership level where the dots needed to be connected. And I think that a level of humility is what leads to greatness for companies. On the one hand, when it comes to dealing with change within an organization, sometimes you've got like the senior executives, like totally on board because they can see the forest and the trees. Yes. And you've got like the associate brand manager, or, like the junior analyst, they have their finger on the pulse of consumer behavior. So they may not know the context, but they know the action, but there's that middle Yes, that really needs to be educated on their own terms, or maybe less about educated, but actually immersed in that. I'm not asking for the war stories of the resistance, but is there an aha story that unlocks like, how did you say, oh yeah, you know, you've been buying Google for the past, you know, 18 years and that's not even a real shelf, but buying retail media is basically the equivalent of taking over an end cap. So how did you do that? It's such an important question. And I will say my biggest challenge is coming into Smucker is how do you motivate, inspire the entire organization to fill in that change from upper management to the people on the front line who know it so, so, so well. So you're absolutely right. I think two things helped. Number one is engaging the people on the front line because they do know it better than anyone. They'll know it better than I ever do. So we brought the frontliners forward to tell the stories and to help share what the challenges they were facing. So then the problems we're trying to solve became so obvious. And these people have profound respect in the organization. So it made the rest of us want to fall in line and say, yeah, we got to help. Did you hear that battle and that war story that Jess is going through or whomever? And so that was a very, very powerful enabler. Absolutely. And the second one was continuing to provide context. I think often one of my experiences as a leader is 
when I'm least effective at communication is when I don't share what's the case for change? What is the problem we're solving? What is the context here? And we jump to the solution and people are like, whoa, where did that come from? And it's so obvious, but we're hurried and we're rushed and you forget what conversation you've had with whom. And so they say repetition, it takes seven times. It actually probably takes 17 times. Once they understand the context, almost everything falls in place. It's when they don't understand the why behind it that they're like, what are we doing? And it makes us feel like we're clueless as leaders. Yeah. I think everyone that leads teams can resonate with what you just said. Even Sarah and I at a a smaller level in our organization. Mm -hmm. Outside of all the shifts that you had to make internally in terms of the org design and who's doing what, a good portion of Smucker's business was significantly impacted in probably a, a quite a positive way because of the pandemic. And, and that's within the pet world, right? Like yes. one out of three Americans, I believe now is- Wait, like- wait, 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 wait. Some of us might've spent most of the pandemic eating Uncrustables. <laughs> I'm just saying. We love you too. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I also don't have a pet, so I had to find my level of consumption of, of your products. But yes, Rachel is actually empirically accurate. <laughs> Obviously, the pet industry has exploded with one out of three Americans now owning pets. Now that the world is reopening, and and that's a good portion of the Smucker business, what changes are you seeing in terms of how you're going to market around the pet industry? Like you said, Rachel, pet adoptions are at an all-time high. Dog adoption was up almost 10%, cat even higher than that. So a lot more dogs and cats to feed, which we love. What is absolutely sticky post-pandemic, so far anyway, is the e-commerce shoppability. Over half of consumers said, wow, it was much more simple and easy than I expected. And I'm going to stick with that e-commerce buying habit, which is huge. That's really, really important. And consumer behavior. We've seen people are opening up and going out a lot more. But because their work experience is still very much centered at home, they are still with their pets. And what that opens up is more treating occasions. Treating occasions have increased by over 30%. Mm. So that's a lot more milk bones and opportunities that we can offer. I know for my dogs personally, I think my treating occasions have probably quintupled <laughs> because, you know, you're on a call and you're like, oh my gosh, just be quiet. And, you know, or they're just so dang cute and they're sleeping behind you and you want to reward them. So I think that's, that will stay. Oh my gosh. That's like me with my kids. <laughs> it is. Except not with milk because exactly. that would be very bad. So those are kind of good things. To me, the hardest aspect is the fragmentation. With the pure play competition that has obviously exploded, I'm sure you've seen many of them, consumers have more choice than ever. And that means our biggest competitors are no longer the Nestle's and Mars of the world, who we have great respect for. But now it's the what we call all others that are really offering amazing value equations and value props for for consumers. Therefore, our game has to increase and up. That's innovation, that's packaging, that's go-to-market, that's this entire integrated funnel because pure players know how to do that really, really well. And if that's where consumers' heat is going, we have to compete even more so. So that I think is the very sticky behavior. You can get customized dog food delivered to your door. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean for brands that are sold at Walmart, Amazon, you know, Chewy? It's significant. Can I challenge that for a moment? So I agree that during this interim phase where people are still partially working from home, that definitely makes sense. And, you know, as somebody who is responsible for an e-commerce business, I'm a big believer. But once people start going back to work and they're they're maybe treating less at the moment, but they're still feeding, 
my assumption is actually click and collect becomes the new brick and mortar, but also the new e-com. And with that in mind, don't you have that unfair advantage by virtue of the fact that you've got that level of distribution last mile? So you're picking up on your terms. Like yesterday, for example, I needed some groceries and I knew I was going to be on calls all afternoon and they were fresh groceries. And so there was no way I was even going to be able to get the door and it's 90 degrees outside. Yeah. And milk was on my, on my order. So I did a click and collect order purely for the convenience of it being on my time, but also without the inconvenience of having to walk into a store. So doesn't that give you guys an unfair advantage? Maybe not in the next couple of months as people are still home, but as the world starts reopening, where do you think click and collect goes in that idea? Great question. I think click and collect, yes, we'll have an advantage there. But what we're seeing from these online players in pet anyway is the specialization they're able to offer is really valued. And the reason why is really important. Pets are our babies. Pets are our kids. Pets are Mm -hmm. sometimes (laughs) our data shows that a lot of consumers like their pets much more than they like human beings. So when that's the case, you want what's best for them, right? Like your kids, you said, you want what's best for your kids. You want what's best for your pet. That may or may not be what you can get, at least perceived from click and collect. That may be what you can get customized delivered to your door. That I think is the turf that we're trying to figure out. Is it in fact value added? I have a point of view on that. Obviously we believe our brands are very, very competitive and can offer something equally valuable, but the consumer has to decide. So I think that's where it's going to come. What's going to be really interesting in that though, Sarah, is as the consumer stimulus packages changed Wendell, will we see how much does value come in versus customization exactly that's an excellent point do people end up trading down to private label would you give private label to your pet especially given everything else right big question in fact when we saw in the last recession there were certain things you were willing to trade private label for and pet food was not one of them so oh my gosh the dog knows we're talking on you <laughs> It's like they hear. I know. Oh, wait, they do. <laughs> Another thought on that, though, because it brings us back yeah. to the, the top of the conversation, which is around upper funnel mm-hmm. and why upper funnel is so important. If you can't convince people that your brands are so premium that they are so good for your pets, good. Yeah. then they're not going to get to that point. So it kind of reinforces, A, the importance of looking at the budget in totality above the line, below the line, upper funnel, lower funnel, whatever the hell it is. Exactly. But recognizing that maybe lower funnel was really important during COVID because you had to capture, Yep. but upper funnel might start becoming more important as the competitive landscape shifts. Especially because one of the other trends that emerged both for human beings and pets is that convergence of health and wellness and the prioritization of that. That is not just true for us as humans. We're seeing it absolutely true with pet parents and their their pets as well. So agreed. To put a bow on it, though this would only continue the conversation, to challenge Sarah what you said, the fact that consumers are willing to switch to challenger brands that they've never heard of because of key product benefits puts unweighted importance as well on bottom of the funnel. So you got to do both. Which is why it has to be an integrated funnel. <laughs> Perfect segue. You know, you and I bonded when you were at Procter & Gamble before you arrived to Smucker over this exact same topic. Obviously, P&G is known to, to train great next-generation marketers like yourself. So what were the biggest learnings that you took from there into your new role at Smucker? 
So many, but I will focus on maybe the top two. The first is maybe somewhat surprising, but I'm amazed how much it's not broadly adopted. I personally believe that empathy is the most important tool as a brand builder. Empathy as a leader, it's empathy with our consumers, really understanding his or her unmet needs and trying to find solutions that better their lives. Empathy with our partners, whether it's retailers or media partners. And I think it's also one where women can exceed. I'm getting into dangerous territory, but in general, science shows that women are a slight bit more empathetic than men. And so I think it's something that at PNG, we didn't call it empathy per se, at least not in our early years, but it was really rooted in understanding the insights and the consumer tension points and how we could solve them. The other part that it was trained in us over and over again was what is a leader and what makes a good leader? And again, we didn't necessarily call it empathy. We called it in touchness, but at the end of the day, that's what it boiled down to. I know we always have to make up our own words, right? <laughs> and then the other one, which is somewhat related, AG Lasley coined it, but it's so true. Consumer is boss. And where I see brands and companies flip that is you ask, what's your objective? And they will say X million in sales or X percent in growth, which is of course important. But what I would argue is that's actually the outcome of being consumer focused. If you better delight your consumer than competition or than anything they've seen before, then you will grow, then you will exceed a certain level of sales. And I think if you lose the emphasis on consumer in that, you can be chasing a number and frankly hurt your brand or not necessarily delight consumers in a sustainable way. So I think that focus on consumer as the way to win versus just winning through a certain goal is really important. Well, we could talk to you forever, but we've reached the point where we have to ask you our famous last question. Okay. Charlene, what's the bravest thing that you've ever done? All right. So I really debated how honest I answer this question and I've decided to answer it honestly, but there's a reason for it. So the bravest thing I ever did was I left a 16-year marriage with a seven-year-old and a five-year-old daughter. And I'm not saying that like, oh, isn't she great? And, you know, wow, he must have been terrible. That's not the point at all. But the reason I'm sharing it is what I learned about myself was I, like so many women on this planet, put other people's needs above mine. I didn't own my voice and I didn't set boundaries. And those three things of being really clear what you want, setting boundaries and owning your voice are lessons that women, my experience, have been in this crazy world a long, long, long time women aren't doing enough of. And I want to share my story so that they can be brave and not necessarily leave their marriage um, at all, but to look at the world in a place that their voice really matters and that bravery can actually lead to even higher happiness. Thank you for sharing that, Charlene. You are so brave. I have so much respect for you. And on top of you advocating for your own voice, you've advocated for voices like mine and Sarah and other women. And it's leaders like you that make other women rise as well. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you. But yes, it takes a village. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? 
Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.